on today's episode of the Clinical Excellence Podcast, we have Stephanie Collins. So I think you need to be kind of honest and patients need to really open up, explain their fears. And just if I'm just feeling lousy, whatever, I think there just needs to be some honest communication. We're back with another episode of the Clinical Excellence Podcast, sponsored by the Bucksbaum Institute. During this podcast, we discuss, dissect, and promote clinical excellence. We review research pertinent to clinical excellence. We invite experts to discuss topics that often challenge the physician-patient relationship. And we host conversations between patients and doctors. I'm Adam Seafew, and today I'm joined by one of our patients, Stephanie Collins. Stephanie is a retired public school educator, but we were joking that she has redefined retirement and all of the things she does, both professionally and, I don't know, personally. So, Stephanie, thank you very much for coming in today. Thank you for inviting me. My opening question is kind of a boring one. It's one I've used before on the podcast, and it's very general. Um what have you found sort of in your time, you know, interacting with the medical system that you find is sort of good about the medical system that you'd kind of complement our American healthcare system for? And then what are the things that have kind of, I don't know, irritated you about it that you'd say, boy, this I'd like to change? Well, you know, I have been involved with this particular healthcare system since I was 17 years old. Wow. So we're talking about 50 years. But uh, one thing that I like about it, I feel like the medical care is very good. I like the fact that when I need to see a specialist, I can be referred to someone here so I don't have to go running all over the city. But the one thing that I am sort of irritated about is the emergency room. Because about, it's almost been a year that I was in the emergency room And Dr. Sifu called to let them know I was coming because I was very, very sick. And I sat literally in the emergency room for 24 hours, 12 hours in the lobby, being uncomfortable. And then finally went into the triage and I was there for another 12 hours, but at least I was sleeping on a gurney. (laughs) And I, you know, the treatment started and then they found a room. So... That was the one experience because I haven't, I don't really come to the emergency yeah, yeah. room. So uh, I, I guess I can kind of broaden that out. And it's kind of like what a lot of people say, you know, not just here, but about like American mm-hmm. healthcare in general, right? We talk a lot about the importance of having like a medical home, right? A place that you feel like you can get your care. But boy, emergency medicine can be tough, in, especially in an area like we live in, um, where there aren't as many hospitals as there used to be. And so, you know, the hospitals that we do have tend to be overwhelmed with emergency care. Exactly. Exactly. So um, my second question is really what made me want to have you on. And when we were first planning this podcast, you were like one of the first people who came to mind um, uh, to invite because of a very... I don't know, telling, but also very honest message you sent me back in the fall of 2020. Um, UFC, like many institutions, had uh, COVID vaccine trials, and we were actually having trouble filling all our spots. And I sent out a sort of auto message to a bunch of my patients. And your response to me on the Epic MyChart system was, uh, thank you for thinking of me, but I will pass this time because of historical issues around the use of African-Americans in trials. And I remember being like, yep, 
I could I could see Miss Collins <laughs> writing that. Um, yeah. But also, I was really impressed with your sort of openness and honesty. Um, and I'd just love to hear kind of your your thoughts. Um, you know, as you got that email and sort of response to it. Well, I trust you. Yeah. I feel very comfortable with you. I think you're very open and honest with me. The one thing I really like is when we have to adjust and change medications and I'm saying, I don't know, can we try this? You're always willing to say, okay, let's do this. But if it has gone too long, you will say, okay, this is too much. We're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. So I just felt like I could just be very honest with you. And I, and I also figured you were the type of person that knew exactly what I was talking about. So because um, when they first started working on the, the vaccines, I said I wasn't going to get it. Yeah, yeah. And it took a couple of months. I mean, I was quarantined and I did everything I was supposed to do, right. stay in. But then I was watching a lot of webinars from different doctors, male, female, black, white, other nationalities. And then I said, Okay, I think I'm going to take that step. And then I asked you and you said, oh, I just got mine. And, you know, I I felt a little wonky one day and had to go home. But other than that, I was fine. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So and I had absolutely no problems. That's great. My arm might have been sore that day. And the next day I forgot that I had a shot. So I was good. It was such an interesting time because I think how people felt about getting the vaccine was so mixed up in so many of our feelings, right? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. It happened so fast. There was such weird divides of people who were, um, you know, who were suspicious of things that weren't generally suspicious of things and other people who were accepting of it who weren't really accepting of it. And then all of the issues about how, you know, the death rates and illness sort of broke down among various, you know, parts of the population. And, you know, obviously we're, we're in Chicago and mm-hmm. Chicago had just unbelievable differences, you know, from one neighborhood to another neighborhood six miles away. Um, and it was striking how people responded to the, the illness and the, I don't know, the threat maybe. You know, and it also made me start thinking because I remember as a child, I have the scar from a polio vaccine on my shoulder (laughs) and all the other things that I had to take as a kid. So I said, well, I'm still here. And, you know, we have eradicated, even though sometimes some of the things have come back. But I said things like smallpox and polio and this and that and the other. So and after listening to all these doctors, I said, "Okay, I'm going to do it. And I did. I, I think of our childhood response to vaccines because I think you know, our parents, they lived through all those diseases, right? And so I think for them, there was basically zero thought about not getting a kid vaccinated because, you know, my aunt had polio. And so my parents were like, of course, we're going to get you vaccinated. And it's a little bit different now where we've had 50 years of I don't know, not being infectious disease free, but kind of close to it. Yeah, yeah. um, so listen, you've been in the patient role for a long time. I've known you in the patient role for a long time. Um, 
we got a lot of listeners who are patients, a lot of listeners who are doctors. Are there just sort of advice that you'd give mostly to the physicians, you know, caring for people? You know, what have you seen that's worked well? What have you seen that hasn't worked well? Are there things you do? I think that physicians have to really, really listen and especially be sensitive to fears mm. of the patient which is what you do, because I remember you even said, if they are going to make you do a colonoscopy in the hospital and you don't want that, you want the virtual colonoscopy, you said, I'll talk to them. <laughs> and I'm like, that's my doctor. <laughs> so, so I think you need to be kind of um, honest. And uh, I think patients need to really open up explain their fears, explain what's wrong with them, don't hide it, you know, and just if I'm just feeling lousy, whatever, I think there just needs to be some honest communication mm -hmm. and listening. And I also like the way you explain how things work or how this medication is going to work. And I always know I can call you. Are there things that you think get in the way of people expressing those fears? Because, I mean, we all have those fears, right? I mean, when I'm on the patient side of things, I know what I'm worried about. And sometimes the doctor picks up on it, other times not. Um, I kind of ask you as an, as an educator, you yeah. know, like it's almost how can you, I don't know, teach doctors or teach patients how to, you know, how to get that stuff more out in the open? I don't know. It's, it, that's a good question. And yeah. and maybe it's because, because I have been coming to you for so long because it's been over 25 don't say years. It. <laughs> You'll date both of us. Yeah, you, you were fresh out of school I'm when sure. you came. I, I was 12 years old. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I just think it's my, my comfort level yeah. and yeah. just being able to have conversation because sometimes we'll touch on something yeah. that has nothing to do with doctoring is, you know, like... How's your mom? How's your yeah, grandson? Yeah, you know, you yeah, know the yeah, personal yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. So kind of personalized. Well, maybe that's an important thing because I mean that's sort of underlining the importance of you know an ongoing relationship, mm -hmm. which is probably I mean which is less common mm -hmm. with our population being more mobile and with all the issues of changing insurances and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that may be just one of those things that you know we in medicine need to concentrate on as much as possible. Yeah. And I remember two instances when you talked about your children. And I think at that time, I didn't even know you had children. Yeah. One was that your son used to love bananas and he ate so many bananas that you said he was starting to curve and turn <laughs> yellow. <laughs> and then your daughter had a teacher who had dreadlocks. And she, you, she told you, Dad, I want hair like Miss whatever her right, name is, right. and you try to explain to her, your hair doesn't do that, right, right. but she wanted that hair. So that kind of made it yeah. personal, yeah. you know, like you're a human, you have a family. Yeah. So I remember that because I said that she said she wanted hair like you had. Okay. And I said, you know, you're never going to have hair like that because <laughs> yeah. you got stringy white girl hair. <laughs> yeah. So it's that kind of stuff. And yeah. I even brought my grandson when I had him, when yeah, he was yeah, little yeah. in a stroller, yeah. I rolled him in. I remember and, that. And it was, you know, it was really no biggie. Like, yeah. okay, just bring the family yeah, on yeah, in. Yeah. yeah. So I think that helps. That does. Well, Ms. Collins, I really appreciate you coming in, taking the time for this, especially since I stood you up the week before. <laughs> um, and this was great because just exactly what I wanted as far as a conversation. Well, thank you for having me. My first podcast. Oh. <laughs> 
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Clinical Excellence Podcast. We are sponsored by the Buxbaum Institute for Clinical Excellence at the University of Chicago. Please feel free to reach out to us with your thoughts and ideas on the Buxbaum Institute Twitter page. The music for the Clinical Excellence Podcast is courtesy of Dr. Malin Martinez.